Terrific, thank you. There are some journalists, and I love Ollie Holt, but whenever he appeared on Sunday Supplement, I always found there is a print journalist. Whereas, yes, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah. Whereas someone like Henry just knows where to put the pauses, because he went to a yes. fine, upstanding university where all the best kids go. <laughs> it's odd, because you've got Johnny Northcroft and Henry Winter, both Edinburgh grads. Oh, right, and, and you. And me, with my right, little, okay. with my little two one, which is. Um, you, you, you'd better not ask me about a university question, though. Oxford, Cambridge, none. Uh, no, no, no university at all. Yeah, because that was the day. Actually, I've spoken to Mike Calvin a couple of times right. here yes. in the football yes. library, which is being visited by Richard Whitehead today to talk about the cup, a pictorial celebration of the world's greatest football tournament, which is a fact. Um, and there's two schools. There's the Glanville School and the Calvin School. Glanville, Charterhouse, Oxford, coffee houses, books about the World Cup. Mike Calvin getting in the trenches and writing a book called Family, which I, it hasn't been beaten in the last kind of 15 years. It's the best book about football because it's not about football. But so, so you started as a cub reporter at a local paper? I did. I was, I'm quite proud of this, Johnny, so bear with me. I was 17 when I started on my local hometown weekly in, in Tamworth, Staffordshire. So I, I usually omit the fact that actually I was only there for a week as a 17-year-old and then I was 18. But I was, <laughs> but I did start age 17. So, I'm, you know, as my wife says, I make it sound like I was going down the mines, but rather than... <laughs> well, rather than... the amount of secondhand smoke in those rooms and the typewriting bashing metal, I, I guess it was, what, the 70s? Yeah, 1979, yeah. Yeah, yeah. different era. Yeah. Um, Very much so. Fleet yeah, Street yeah, was just... still there in London, and the local yes. press, because there was no internet, was decimated advertising. This is not news to you. But yeah, being in a press room in the 1980s, having to go off the wire, going to the, to the court and actually covering... What was the Staffordshire industry? Mines or steel? Uh, we had a variety. The, the most famous thing in my hometown in terms of manufacturing was uh, was Reliant Cars. Oh. Robin, Del Boy. Yeah. And, uh, well, Del Boy and Princess Anne as well, because Princess Anne had a, had a scimitar sports car, and, and locally we were very proud of that. Uh, so Reliant made these... Pretty awful three wheelers. So I hear. <laughs> but, yes. But also made the sports car, you know, the very swish sports scimitar. So, uh, yeah, that was the main industry. Although it had been a mining area, it, I mean, it wasn't by then. Um, you know, my family were from the worked in the pits, but uh, it wasn't by the sixties. So, uh, oh. yeah, it was diverse. And diverse. how long? How long did you work uh, in Tamworth for? Worked in Tamworth for five years, uh, becoming sports editor about halfway through. I'll give you a quick uh, run through. Uh, then moved to the Burton Mail in Burton-on-Trent, a very small, an, an evening newspaper, but a very small one, where the manager of the local football team was a young chap called Neil Warnock. Uh, and then on to the Birmingham Daily News, which was a precursor of Metro, really, a free daily, but but a proper newspaper. Then right down to the south coast of Bourne, to the Bournemouth Echo, where I was sports editor, only for 14 months, but it was great fun. Then up to Fleet Street to work on the Daily Star sports test for five years. 
and from, from the start to today for a year. Do you remember today? I, I'm far too young, but I know that Alistair Campbell was poached from today by Tony Blair. So I had, a, I had only a year there when it was closed down and that led to me getting the jo- a job on the Times. So, uh, and then on the Times, I was on the Times for 21 years. Although I set myself a wonderfully varied career, not just in sport, but in various other departments around the building. So that was a, you know, that was a great, well, it's all been great, but the Times was, you know, the highlight, really. It's, it's stunning, the Times, because I, we took the Independent and then they did too many front pages with stats. So we switched to the I Times... Remember. And so from and then I went off to university and read it quite regularly. I would sit and wait for midnight for the online edition when it wasn't paywalled to come yes. on. So it's entirely possible that I read your bylined pieces at midnight because yeah. um, I certainly remembered them. A lot of the major pieces I wrote for the Times as a writer, and I should stress, stress I was mainly an editor, a desk man. But uh, some of the major pieces I wrote were not bylined at all because they were obituaries you know i was deputy obits editor for a few years five or six years you know and as you know johnny the the obits are unsigned or not bylined unsigned is the obit jargon so most of the really big pieces i wrote were actually you know they didn't have my name on at all ah, and, and from which years were you in the obituaries department I went there in early 2010 and left in early summer 2015. So I will have certainly read your writing because I would check the obituaries. Um, yes, you probably would, Johnny. Yeah, so I did people like Tom Finney. Who else did I do? Your mind always goes blank. Don't would you, you? Did, uh, would you have done Marie Colvin? No, I didn't do that, but I do remember that day. Yeah. Uh, who else did I do? Well, one, one I did because, as you know, they're... Many of them are written in advance, but uh, one I did last that was only published, sadly published last summer, was of the former cricket correspondent John Woodcock, mm. who, who was a friend and was well into his 90s, but it was still a sad day. But of course, I'd written that two or three years previously. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a slightly, people think it's slightly ghoulish that you prepare these pieces in advance, but uh, it has to be done, I'm afraid. Absolutely. And if I were to have. Unfortunately, it is the job that you can never leave because there will always be an obituary columnist needed. And also, it would appeal to me, uh, having read Brian Glanville's book of obituaries, all of his that were published in The Guardian, um, the nature of the research to to wrap up something and to try and avoid cliché but know when to use it. Um, Actually, I'll ask you that. Did you have any knowing clichés that you'd use and the kind of smirk as you wrote them? No, I think that's a bit of a myth. But we had things that were banned. We had, uh, he didn't suffer fools gladly. That was banned, you know. (laughs) But also there was, during my time in there, in the department, there was was quite a change of emphasis. Uh, We had a new editor come in, uh, an editor of the paper, I mean, not of obits. The emphasis was changed for them to be much more, jolly and anecdotal than that and to you know to be full of anecdotes and and that was an order from on high so in about 2013 14 15 if you were a student doing a dissertation on this you would suddenly find the times obits changed style quite markedly and how's this for us now i've done over 200 of these so i know a segue 
I know a spot right. for a segue. I think you know what's segway. coming, Richard Whitehead, segway. author of... Segway away. The author of The Cup, pictorial celebration of the world's greatest football tournament. How close are we to an obituary of the FA Cup? I don't think we're close. Good question. I don't think we're close to an obituary at all. I think it's almost had its lowest point, Johnny. And don't ask me to pinpoint when that was. Sometime since the turn of the century. I thought last year's final was particularly good. Also a good story. Leicester City winning for the first time, beating Chelsea you know, at the end of the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. And so it's that, so good that, sorry, uh, Jamie Vardy's on the cover. I, I don't think the Cup and the television companies still like it because the BBC have still got it. The BBC have got this wonderful initiative now where they're on the red button, they show a game from the extra preliminary round onwards. I don't know how many people tune into those, but I love them because I watch mainly non-league football these days. So I don't think it's going to get any worse or lower in, in in the public's estimation. But having said that, never again will it remotely capture its place, the place that it had in the sporting calendar. No, And that will never happen. That's gone, never to return, I'm afraid. A thought has just struck me. Because uh, the FA Cup final remains a crown jewel, well, it's now back to being a crown jewel of the BBC schedule, there is something yes. else that is broadcast in May on the BBC, where the UK got it as low as it's possible to go last year. (laughs) And Scott Mills, bless Scott Mills, has taken to saying, we're going to make Eurovision great again. I mean, we might win Eurovision this year, it'll be Ukraine. We might come second in Eurovision, but we can't get much lower. Uh, The FA Cup final this year, I haven't looked up the date, I imagine it's like the 17th of May. Yes, I think so. Yeah. uh, it's very bad to come on your podcast and not know that, but I'm not exactly sure. Well, people can... It's up to the listener to find out if they really care about this trophy. But it will feature two of eight teams uh, who are taking part in the quarterfinals as we speak this weekend, but they will already have gone on. Uh, three games on Sunday, live, 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 which I think is the first time this may have happened. OK. Um, but it's Middlesbrough Chelsea on Saturday afternoon. We will not be talking about... Elephant in room. No. Um, Palace Everton, Southampton Man City, Nottingham Forest against Liverpool. Now, these fixtures could have taken place at any year in the last kind of hundred years. Absolutely. So, That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a shame Aston Villa aren't there. But It's always a shame that Aston Villa aren't there, but they seldom are these days, Johnny. They seldom are. I, I grew up on my mother's knee and I was handed this sacred bit of information that Villa had won the cup more times than any other club. And, you know, I loved that fact, and it's in my Lady Bird book of football and all that. And uh, I didn't ever foresee a time, and we still wouldn't, we still haven't won it in my lifetime. Of course. It's just extraordinary. It's just, uh, you know, and we're, we're miles back in the pack now. Uh, so that's a cause of great grief to me. But you're right, it's great to see those traditional names, as you say, who could have been involved in the Cup at any time, really, since... Well, probably since the turn of the 20th century. And also, I said, said that I wasn't going to talk about Chelsea. In 1986, Ken Bates owned Chelsea and Steve Gibson saved Middlesbrough at the 12th hour. So where were you in 1986? Were you in Burton-on-Trent? 1986 was... Yes, I was. Yes, I was. What, what, the cup final that year, remind me. Come on, you're going to have to remind me. Oh, was it Liverpool-Everton, 86? It was, the first Merseyside, yeah. Yeah, mm. 3-1, wasn't it? Yeah. 
That is right. Uh, Tony Evans, your erstwhile colleague Tony Evans has written about it. Peculiar match that because Everton went from being quite well on top to suddenly being 3-1 down. I remember watching it at home and being slightly bemused that the game could have turned so quickly. But but they had a rather good striker called Ian Rush, didn't they, who specialised in the FA Cup. Very good player. And again, I... My first football match was 1996, so I think Ian Rush was just coming to the end of his career by then, but this is a guy who famously... It's, it's a shame, because if you're right, he's not going to die for years, but an obituary of Ian Rush will include the line that he never said, which is... Uh, the line that he never said was about playing for Juventus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it, like a... Living in a foreign country, or is that right? I use that line about living in Edinburgh and saying watching the Premier League was like watching football in a foreign country. So I... <laughs> I applaud Ian Rush for never saying that. And Rushy will... <laughs> is there a picture of Ian Rush uh, in this book, The Cup, which features 100 yeah, stunning is. and evocative photos? There is. Thank you for that plug, Johnny. Uh, it, uh, yeah, there is. It's not one of the main images, but he's in a chapter called... He's in the introduction to a chapter called Goals and Glory. And he had to be there, really, as one of the Cup's greatest goal scorers. And the Cup Finals greatest Cup Finals greatest scorers. How did you structure the book? Well, uh, I didn't want to do the complete history of the FA Cup from eight, starting in 1872 and finishing in 2021. I didn't want to do any stats because you can look those up. But what I wanted to capture was a bit of the romance of it. In fact, the first chapter is called Romance. I wanted to present all these fantastic images, many of which are rarely seen. I won't say they're unpublished because that wouldn't be true. Some of them are probably unpublished, but... Most people so far who have seen the book say, oh, I love the fact that you you know, you know, worked so hard on the picture research and got lots of images we hadn't seen before. So I wanted to present those images. I wanted to tell the stories behind them. So it's not a book of, just a book of nice photographs, although that would be great if it was, but it isn't. It, it, there are a lot of words in there as well. And I just, as I found the pictures, Johnny, I just thought of these themes, really. So there's romance, there's heroes, there's icons, there's goals and glory, as I said earlier. Uh, there's a chapter about venues. Uh, there's a chapter about fans. So, And obviously there's a chapter about giant killers. I think that there are 12 themes of, of different length. It's not structured. So there's a, there's a lovely little chapter on celebrities with some great pictures. But it's quite a short chapter, and that's okay because you couldn't leave those pictures out. They're just so good. I would, I would hope that Reggie Dwight is there sobbing during a bide with me in the '84 final. He's definitely there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there. Yeah. Well, he's there on the pitch beforehand. Oh right. Uh, of course. Wait, yeah. Waiting, yeah. waiting to be interviewed by Ray Stubbs from Radio Merseyside. So uh, then, of Radio Merseyside, I should say, and uh, that's one of the sort of well-known stories that you couldn't miss out, really. I've been really fortunate that Dad got a debenture for Club Wembley uh, in 2007. So when I wasn't up in Edinburgh, I would go to the FA Cup final. I remember going to the Carnu final, which was 2008. 2008, yeah. And I remember going with a Chelsea supporting friend to Arsenal Chelsea, which is one of the last Wenger uh, wins. Yes, Yes, and I it. said to Alex, there is 1% chance that you'll lose this game. Murtazak is off an injury. Rob Holding's not experienced. Chelsea have to win. They didn't win. I was amazed. And yes. that is why I will I never, ever write off Arsenal. I was there in Louis van Gaal's greatest moment when Jesse oh, yeah, Lingard that... 
yeah. won a cup for Man United, then he got sacked in the dressing room afterwards because that's how football... Both, both those are in the book. Both those finals are in the book. I would redraw the football pyramid as foreign-owned clubs and British-owned clubs, and I would yeah. nickname them the DWYL, Do What You Like would be the foreign league, kind of have the 39th game in Bahrain or whatever. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. And Watford would be bottom of that league every year. Uh, and yeah. Villa would be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then for the UK-owned league, it was the Dave Whelan U Legend League. And in 2013, when I was putting this all together, Wigan at the time were the model of a fine British-owned club. And I yes. was behind the goal. I will always remember this Joel Robles save from Carlos Tevez, which okay, kept yeah, Wigan yeah. in the game. And yes. then Ben Watson scored the winner. So what picture did you choose for that tournament? Well, as you know, Dave Whelan had this great... I mean, Dave Whelan's in the opening chapter, Romance, but it's not so much about Wigan as him breaking his leg in 1960 when he was playing for Blackburn Rovers in the final against Wolves. And, you know, that... Well, I mean, that. Well, what sums up the cut more than that? The chap who broke his leg at his career basically ended by an injury in the final, then coming back as the wealthy owner of an underdog club 50-odd years later to lift the trophy. I mean, that, that's the FA Cup encapsulated, isn't it? The, the mm. Dave Whelan story. And then Wigan's next game, they were relegated. They were, at, at, against Arsenal, wasn't it? Didn't they have to play Arsenal on the Monday night, two nights later? Yes. Yeah, they couldn't have an open-top ceremony. And when they did, I think they were relegated. So, so yes. it was kind of a Pyrrhic yes. victory and they were playing yeah. in Europe in the, first, the second tier. Yes, they were. Yes, yeah. Yes, they were. So D- Dave Whelan's in there. Yeah, that's that's mm. great. But I mean, you just touched on something there, Johnny. They, it's not a blow by blow, year by year account of the cup. Some people, sadly, will find that their favourite years and stories are not in there. But they should find lots of things that perhaps they didn't know about or knew, you know, or 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 that I've managed to uncover things about that they weren't aware of. So. It's not the blow-by-blow account, but I think it really, as you've just said with Dave Whelan, it just perfectly captures what it's all about, really. This is the world's greatest football tournament, known throughout the world as the oldest one. 1872 was a big year because it was the first home international. A goalless draw, start as you mean to go on. Uh, Mourinho would have loved that game. He would. (laughs) He he, he would, yeah. yeah. Hey, is Mourinho in the book? not actually no hmm. no I mean there's plenty of Chelsea and all their 21st century domination she couldn't avoid that uh, but no no he's not no again not really I didn't I mean that final that he won 2007 that's in there but through the but the stories about Didier Drogba yeah so so that that's the approach really there was a piece about Drogba which paper was it in this morning, just this morning, I read about how okay. the might of Drogba is diminished. But how much is the sin of the owner, the sin of the player? Do, do, is there going to be an asterisk? But football as a whole is in this weird transitory phase. And through it all, apart from in World War Two, the FA Cup wasn't able to go on. It stretches back to 1872. And at that time, it was loads of southern teams. And it was brilliant to read in a book that you edited called The Times 50 Greatest Football Matches. There is the 1883 final between Eton and Blackburn Olympic. And they refer to Blackburn as the Northerners. They did. And they went on using language like that for years to follow. I mean, that's a, 
you were just talking about pivotal moments, Johnny, but that's an absolutely pivotal final because, and again, I go into this in the cup. This was the first time that not just that Northerners had won it, but a team that weren't public school old boys, a team who employed players to the play were heartily disapproved of in the South because of it. But there was no going back out of that after that. The genie was out of the box. And those, the old Etonians and the Royal Engineers and the Wanderers, and those teams were never heard of again after that. So, yeah. 1983, absolutely, you know, for some people would say that's sort of the year zero for the Cup, really, because from 1872 until then, they, it had been won by clubs whose, you know, whose names we don't really recognise now. No, they're in black and white. And then spool forward to 1897, a fine year. Uh, and this is an, another game in the time 50 greatest football matches. It's as if the Villa fan was editing it. Um, it's an extraordinary coincidence, isn't it? Extraordinary. Ain't it just? Uh, in front of 65,000 people in the only venue that could actually hold that many people. I mean, the report says that it is a, it's a record crowd for a British soccer game, 1897. Yeah. And it was the, did Villa achieve the double that day or did they win the first of the two trophies? No, they they did something which will never be matched. I don't think I can't imagine that. Well, they won the double in a day because they won a classic FA Cup final against Everton, three two, one of the great finals. And as a result, I think of oh, you can, I, I haven't got my eighteen ninety six ninety seven league table to hand, Johnny. But I'll ask Tim Rich. He'll know. It was a very it was Berry v Derby County, and I can't remember which one was chasing the Villa. But I think they drew nil-nil, and as a result, Villa were champions as well. So, the double in a day, never to be matched. One thing that uh, stands out in the rep- the report uh, of that yes. match, uh, Villa 3, Everton 2, the winning goal scored by Crabtree, uh, all goals yes. in the first half. Yes. Um, is that... The last para, the Earl of Rosebury, who had seen the whole of the game with Lord Kinnaird and Major Marindin from the pavilion presented the cup so it it bigs up the fact that it has it's an it's a spectator sport i mean it's a stupid thing to say but the king and the queen would be at this final no 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 royalty until 1914 right Uh, minor minor royals until 1914 the king was at the liverpool burnley final in 1914 but what you're saying is i think is that there was an establishment yes approval of what was going on uh lord kinnaird of course was a seminal figure in the cup and you've probably had his biographer on at some point and if you haven't you should so Lord Kinnaird was an important figure Major Marindin had refereed finals so they were big figures in the development of football but but what you've touched on there Johnny is uh, this growth of it as a spectator sport the, the, the attendances at the early finals were, were, were nothing at all really at the Oval but uh, by this point you know, we're we're talking about a big exodus from the north and the Midlands to the, to, to London, a, a bit of a day out in London, and then off to Crystal, off to the Crystal Palace for the final. And that was a great. That was when the Cup final really became a great event for the north and the Midlands, decamping to London for a day. It's fascinating, and we'll talk more about the media involvement uh, in the FA Cup's coverage in the second half. But just skipping through. How likely is it that next year a white horse is going to be paraded onto the turf? Uh, as part, well, they, they should, they could do that. They, they should, have to. As part of the celebrations, 
I remember, you're not nowhere near old enough for this, but I remember the 100th anniversary finally, 1972. And there was, a, there was a rather weedy parade of previous winners. I would like to think they'll do something a bit better than that this time. A white horse, a white police horse, that's a great idea. The we should be working in the FA's marketing department. Oh, well, we know about the FA's cost-cutting measures and I will do pro bono work. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you have an email address and you can send that tomorrow, Johnny. That, connections. That's it's all about connections. There is a get, picture. Get, I keep get going. A, get a white horse on there. there. I keep going back to this Times 50 Greatest Football Matches, but this picture must be in your book. Scenes at the first cup final at Wembley. The amazing scene. Extraordinary incidents marked the final. Did it, does it say 300,000 people had gone yeah, to the I Empire Stadium? That, that's the usual estimate, yeah. And there, there are some smashing... There is one smashing photo of the 1923 final in my new book, yeah. Uh, what happened was uh, people had been... People had been uh, sort of hyped up about the stadium. People were keen to see the stadium. There was a Southern club in the final, West Ham, which a London club in the final, which made it slightly, you know, which wasn't normal then. It wasn't unique, but it wasn't normal. And so they didn't, the match wasn't all ticket. The the FA thought that would lead to a black market, quite rightly. Uh, So the stadium was just completely overrun, really. Uh, And they thought it would hold 130,000, and it would have done, but actually more than twice that number turned up. So it was the most extraordinary thing that that match was ever played, albeit with people, you know, packed around the touchlines. And the first goal that Bolton scored in the early minutes knocked down a row of spectators who were in, who were in the net, like a row of dominoes. So one of those, that's one of those great stories. Possibly not true, but it's mm. a good one. Print the legend. Uh, it reminds the legend. me, just reading the reportage, it reminds me of the coverage that the Times gave Euro 2020 and the final, which was not about football. It was about people jibbing their way into Wembley. And uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think uh, I don't, don't think there was much cocaine in 1923, but, uh, but you're right, modern parallels, yeah, yeah. Ten of the 50 greatest football matches that you uh, put in this book, which was, it's a lovely hardback which I think I did get as a Christmas gift, and I'm sure thousands of people did. They, they include the Herbert Chapman final in 1930, where Arsenal were referred to during the piece as the Arsenal. Oh, yes, the Arsenal. The Times always called them the, always called them the Arsenal for, for then and for many years afterwards, I think. And three years after that um, was the upset, um, which um, Arsenal were playing away, missing Eddie Hapgood. I spoke to Lynn, his daughter, very recently, I, I saw there was a book about Eddie Hapgood. What a fascinating, uh, for, uh, you know, a fasc- I'm sure that's absolutely fascinating. Hey, and as a pitch author, because this book, The Cup, is out, £25 in hardback on pitch, you'll be able to uh, buy it for half price using your author's discount. Uh, indeed, I can. That's a very good tip, yeah. Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. I, only, I only found out about that last week, actually. So Yeah, so did I. So that's, that's, a, that's, a very good, that's a very good perk of working for pitch. Yeah. Uh, yes, they to get a book in print and to get other books in print. Uh, but whose football was described as more virile but not clever in 1933 when they beat the Arsenal? Uh, well, that would have, that was a great Warsaw upset, wasn't it? And I really wanted to include that in the Giant Killers chapter, but I just couldn't find that one picture that you know that really forced its way into the book, really. But that was one of the great upsets. One of the great upsets. I'd completely forgotten 
about that because I guess the BBC don't have TV coverage of it. And no, there might be a bit of if you look on BritishPathé.co.uk, I suspect there's a bit on there, but that would be the best mm. you could do. Well, then of course we've got the Ronnie Radford game, which is 50 years old. Uh, is it this year? It's just turned 50, hasn't it? Yeah, it's just turned. There was. I, I wished everybody a happy Ronnie Radford Day in February. Uh, yeah, sometime in February. Can't remember exactly when. Oh, well, no, um, I've got a book here that will tell me, so... Is that peak giant killing? That February 5th. Killing? Yes, because um, John Woodcock, the late John Woodcock, was there, obviously thinking yes. it would be an easy win for Newcastle. Um, from half-time onwards, Hereford played a brand of football that would have been a match for anyone. Poor Newcastle! Exclamation mark. John, it must have been the only football match he ever covered for the Times. I asked him about it when the book came out. He'd, he'd forgotten doing it, but it <laughs> must have been the only match he, he ever covered for the time. There's a great backstory to the Ronnie Radford. There's a picture of Ronnie Radford in in the Cup, uh, hopefully one that people haven't seen quite so often before. But there's a great backstory to that, Johnny, in that it was it was a tw- it was a replay. Hereford had already drawn at St James's Park, two two, but it had been twi- the replay had been twice postponed. So this was because of the different sorts of bad weather in down in Hereford during the week. So this was third-round replay played on fourth-round Saturday. And Newcastle had been stuck down there all week waiting for the pitch to become playable. So they'd been in Worcester, been a hotel in Worcester. They were training on Worcester Racecourt. They had to raid the local branch of Cecil Chief and for clean underpants. And that's, you know, Newcastle's appalling preparation for that day is a is a side of the story that's not often told really so i was delighted to remind people of that and again there are certain things that will not happen today like two matches in two days there was a watford i was researching watford arsenal recently and Mm. because a match was postponed it meant that watford played arsenal on consecutive days and beat them twice and i think so one of Arsenal's Tuesday clubs said, yeah, we went out on the piss after the first game, so we were in no fit state during the second game. This was the 1980s, which we will we will talk about in the second half. We're discussing the Cup, a pictorial celebration of the world's greatest football tournament. £25 in hardback on pitch publishing. The author is Richard Whitehead. <laughs> <laughs> 